Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Oh yes, it is time. Outkick 360 time here on the Outkick network. We are live from our 6th and Peabody broadcast studio with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kuharski is here. A cast of thousands is in studio right now. Always great to see these beautiful faces in studio. Jonathan Hutton, a well-deserved day off today. Not with us. But we have a number of people with us today. Dane Bradshaw from the SEC Network. We'll talk some college hoops coming up in about 20 minutes. We've also got Jason Fitzgerald coming on uh, to talk some salary cap issues across the NFL and our VolQuest Hour with Brent Hobbs, Austin Price, coming up later in the program as well. Paul, how are you? I'm well. Looking forward to the weekend. Looking forward to three hours of uh, good conversation before that. It's Not a me- excited about the temperature, though. Uh, it's supposed to get better before the weekend. I like to do the f- weather forecast in honor of one no, of well, your former uh, co-hosts. It's funny because I was going to bring up the temperature because of the coat that you're wearing in studio today, but also because we've really been through the ringer with temperature. We just came from a place that was 80 all of last week, it really in the 80s in L.A. and sunny. Came back here. It was freezing cold when we got back Saturday night. Then it was really warm here. I was in short sleeves the first three days this week, and now it's back in the, what, 30s or 40s? Yeah. Supposed to get to the 60s on Sunday and be a sunny weekend and then pour the beginning of next week. So uh, we get it all. The, this concludes our weather report. We get it all. For the day. We do it all. But we maybe survive it all. We'll, we'll kind of know, we'll gauge the temperature in studio based on if Paul sheds the coat or not. I thought the about Patagonia taking it off. At some it's point a jacket. In the show. We thought about taking it off right before we started. We. Me. The royal we. And um, I, uh, I thought, no, I'm comfortable. I'll stick with it. You have Corey Taylor, you know, take the jacket off for you. You're that type of diva. No, you can't take I, it off yourself. I have some asks of him, but the jacket won't be worn. Yes, yes. I could still handle it. Maybe he can become your new Kirby. <laughs> you can be a, a, a Mr. Fix-It with everything. We'll, we'll find out. I'll call him when I have issues with my grill. Um, so, Paul, yesterday we opened. Uh, you had a great issue around downhill skiing, right, with Michaela Schifrin. And the giant slalom. The giant slalom. I guess it's all, is it well, alpine she was, skiing? combined. That was the combined. Okay. Well, this is going to be a first for the show because we go from skiing to figure skating and not the technical ins and outs of figure skating. Figure skating is at its best when there is drama around it. I think Blades of Glory with John Heater and and Will Ferrell really pulled this off well. It's all about the drama and figure skating. We saw that with Nancy Kerrigan, and we're seeing that now with Camila Valieva, the 15-year-old Russian figure skater. Paul, you've been following this more closely. I really got into this today, reading about it and watching video of her performance. We all know about the doping scandal surrounding her. She took three different forms of heart medication, and one of those three, it's a banned substance. And apparently reading about this treatment, and I'm using air quotes, treatment, when you combine the three different heart medications, it allows for longer periods of training. 
uh, to where your cardiovascular system's operating at a higher level and you can train longer. And she popped positive for this back in December. And there's no indication that she has a heart issue. Right. So the IOC came back, and because of the Russian doping scandal, they're already not, pl- they're not competing under their flag. They're not competing under the name Russia, although they're competing under something called ROC, Russian Olympic Committee. But their decision was she can compete, but they won't publicly acknowledge the medal if she medals. There's not going to be a ceremony for the medal. And they could take it away later. Right. So Camila Valieva, 15-year-old Russian, one of the favorites. It's a certainly medal, but one of the favorites to win the and gold And she had medal. a huge lead going into the long program. And she failed in, the long, in the, her last skate of the long program. Multiple falls. Multiple falls, fails, does not medal. And this really caught my attention with the reaction to it. Uh, Thomas Bach, who's the head of the IOC, came back and said, I was shocked about how cold the Russian team was around her. And I'm thinking, have you met a Russian before? Do you know the Russian way of being very cold? But here's this 15-year-old girl crying, upset. And then you have her adult coaches. You know, the woman's asking her, why did you do that? Why did why you did fall you apart? Why did you quit? Why, you know, all these She's things. in tears. I mean, uh, just... it's. That- her face when she went on the ice was uh, the face of a terrified 15-year-old who you felt like her mom should be out there with her. So, look, I, I, I fill everyone in on this story for, for this reason. I, I'm not into these Olympics. I, I, I've tried a couple times, have not gotten into them. But there is something about figure skating, gymnastics, You know, every two years now, that when you add the dramatic to it, it becomes a global story. And it becomes something you remember in Olympic Games for. You know, Carrie Strug in 96. You know, there was the drama around the injury in that U.S. team in gymnastics. Of course, Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan, that we're, we're still talking about to this day. They're making movies about it, uh, both dramatic and documentaries. And then you have Camila Valieva. And Paul, I'm watching this, and I'm, I'm looking at the people surrounding her and I'm thinking, this could be an excellent documentary one day. If you can get access to the Russian system in figure skating, there was the girl who won silver medal screaming to get her out of her face because she did not want to see her crying when she was crying. And she's angry she didn't win gold, saying, oh, what have I done my whole life? I'm not going to uh, win gold. I'm not going to be on the podium in gold. What is happening? All this is captured by those who know Russian on cameras on NBC. It was really a spectacle to behold. And meanwhile, I mean, the most affecting thing to me was the, the Russian young lady who won gold was standing there alone, hugging the teddy bear that they give you and looking around. All, all of the adults involved in this, the coaches, the trainers, everything, with the Russian girls, we're dealing with the drama of the 15-year-old who doped, and I find her to be an innocent victim here of the adults. But they're dealing with her and the gold medalist, who, as far as we know, did, did nothing wrong and performed excellent, the best of everyone over the two nights and won the gold medal, is left standing there alone after she finds out she wins. In her moment of glory is a little kid standing there looking like, what do I do? Where is everybody? So the, the, the doper 
for lack of a better word, is abandoned in her moment, but then gets all the attention after the fact where people are, her coach is yelling at her as she comes off the ice. The winner is abandoned uh, in, in her own way. The silver medalist is upset that she didn't win. I don't know if she had a case that, that it was close or anything. I don't know exactly what her complaint was. Um, the, the happiest person seemed to be the, the bronze medalist that I think was uh, from Japan. And the two Americans, by the way, who finished top 10, I mean, uh, NBC News really painted it like, uh, you know, they were the big winners because they skated joyously and were happy to have, you know, experienced the Olympic moment. I thought they, you know, overdid that because the U.S. finishing top 10 is not really our standard. We expect, I think, generally to be on the medal stand. But I, I will say I'm happy with the Americans finishing top 10 in the fact that we're not taking them at two year old, two years old and saying you're going to be an Olympic medalist at 15 and uh, we're putting you in a pair of skates and, and doing all this. And it's such a formulaic system that seems to involve very little choice and very little joy. Um, and this girl, Valieva, just no 15-year-old deserves. You know, she could be the worst 15-year-old in the world. She doesn't deserve to skate onto the ice and have this look of terror Chad, I don't know if you saw the beginning of it. It looked like she had just been uh, forcibly taken to horror movies and then sent to the middle of the ice. She shouldn't have been allowed to skate. Um, and I, it's, it's not – I'm not going to say it's all – she's a child. I mean, she's 15, so I don't think she's going out and, and accumulating the, uh, the drug she needed to test positive she's for doping. She's not on a Moscow street corner own. scoring Yeah, scoring someone's heart giving this to her. She may have known what she was doing. And taking, but someone's giving this to her at fifteen. Yeah, and is she allowed to say no? But it just it it ruined the whole thing. I I, I was list, watching the the six minute clip that NBC posted where it was reaction from Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir, and Johnny Weir says, "Thank God, the moment it shows that she's not on the podium, you know that her score wasn't in the top three because he didn't want it to take away from." The other medalist, and that he he was very outspoken. She doesn't belong in the competition. we are she so should not be emotional in the way they cover the. Well, she should be so allowed. flamboyant, and they were deadened. Yeah, they, it was they, just Johnny Weir after her short program said, and all we can say is there was her performance. Like he didn't want to like even reflect. Yeah, and he said, "Yo, know, the human side of it, you watch and you feel bad. This is just hard to watch with her being so upset, but also." She shouldn't have been a part of it. You know, she should not have been in the competition. She should not have been allowed to skate. Everyone knows when you're out there, if you test positive for a banned substance, you're not competing. And for whatever reason, she was allowed to compete. But then I watch all this, and I think the best thing for this young girl was to be banned from the competition and to go home at that point instead of forcing her to go through with it. It was, it was something to behold. And again, it goes back to, you know, people aren't going to get behind figure skating, but when there's drama... And there's a controversy around it, you know. You can you can watch it. There's no drama, Paul, around Roger Goodell. I, I'm no. Let me go one more yeah. on this. I'm no chemist. I find it hard to believe for how not? how good no she chemist? was, for how good she was, that she wouldn't have been a terrific medal contender without any any doping. I mean, uh, uh, her leg goes to places on certain moves that other people's legs don't go, and being able to train longer doesn't elongate her muscles. So you know, they may have screwed I, I her out know. of the goal. I, I don't know. I, I think being able to train longer, there's a reason they do it. There's a benefit to it. I don't it think that is. it does everything for you. You've got to have a lot of natural ability, but there's a reason they want her training 
longer periods of time. There and, is, but sometimes sure you get overzealous. You might have somebody fantastic and think, look what we can do for her with the doping, and she may have been good enough. Uh, and I haven't heard discussion I, I, of that, but she yeah, was phenomenal. I mean, uh, you know, and she could have maybe been phenomenal without... Yeah, and this is what happens in Russia. I mean, we know this. This is yeah, something that's gone on for a long time, and they, you know, they're going to do it all the time and everything, and it continues to happen. Got to be consequences, substantial consequences that stop it from happening. So Roger Goodell is poised to get a contract extension through 2026 or 2028. Um, you know, we were talking with uh, Polly Pabst in L.A., and he brought up the question: Would you rather be the NFL commissioner or the SEC commissioner? And he said, because the NFL commissioner is always hated. But Paul, one thing is certain. A group that doesn't hate the NFL commissioner are the owners who obviously believe that Roger, Roger Goodell has done an excellent job. Um, it is a, I believe it is a tough job to screw up in the current position of the NFL and football in America, quite honestly. If you get a competent person in there, it's a tough job to lose. And Roger Goodell, I think, is proving that. with It looks like getting another extension. He's making them money which is the number one thing. The cash flow continues to increase. The TV deals were ridiculous. And what's the other thing? He's a master at CYA. I mean, Daniel Schneider, Snyder has done some really bad stuff. And he has an investigation conducted that doesn't even have a written report. So we can't even find out. They're in front of Congress now, and they're going to get away with the, the commanders now are going to get away with stuff. Congress is saying that's insufficient what you're giving us. And so they give them here, here's one more piece of paper for you. And they're going to drip in it and drab it. And you know, they're going to get away with whatever went on there. And Daniel Snyder, is he going to be forced to sell the team? You and I would bet against it right now. And Stephen Ross now, you know, there's, there's an accusation, pretty serious accusation that, that he told his coach to lose games and he'd give him a bonus for it. Where do we think that's going to wind up? I think it's going to wind up in Stephen Ross's favor odds are and Roger Goodell is going to help him so all these other owners are like hey I'm not up to anything nefarious but if I were Roger Goodell's got my back I'm safe as can be this guy's making me money and he's protecting me well and also everybody thinks he's screwing things up but from the inside he's giving me a a pillow a suit of armor and also I mean you know how many leagues could withstand a, a pretty prominent person in the league in a coach Suing the lead for the league for racial discrimination and clubs in the league for racial discrimination. I think a lot of this is because public opinion has shifted a little bit when you see there's not a ton of merit right now, and, and uh, in Brian Flores' suit that that we've seen publicly. But you're right, Paul. The big takeaway from the suit is that Stephen Ross may have tried to bribe his coach to throw games. But even with that, I mean that story has kind of gone away from a league perspective because why? Roger Goodell put out a pretty strong statement saying, hey, this is unacceptable. We've got to be better. And now that's on the back burner. And then the Stephen Ross issue becomes once. But there's always this way of, you know, you talked about the shield or you know, whatever, but the shield's not just the shield to me. It's the ability to deflect and then go to an individual instance of something. So someone is accusing the NFL of a history of racism in hiring practices for coaches and suddenly, the NFL is so adept at this, or maybe Brian Flores and his attorneys are so inept at this, that it immediately becomes about Stephen Ross. That's the big story from it, right? It's not about the league. Right. It's about one owner possibly doing this, and we can't have that. There's a skill to that that I feel like Roger Goodell possesses. I agree with you there, but I also think a lot of people 
even lesser than Roger Goodell could run this league very effectively. And it comes down to one thing. We love our ball. And the product, even though they mess with it sometimes and uh, screw up the officiating and everything, we love dramatic sport, this sport in particular. And look at the games. After the wild card weekend, the divisional round was unbelievable. The championship games were excellent. Super Bowl was pretty damn good. That's all we care about. It finishes and we take a look at the parade. And now, in, in a couple weeks, who's the best quarterback coming out? Now we get into hope season and everybody's hope. And these stories do steal the headlines and they take up a lot of conversation on our show and on a lot of shows. But ultimately, what's everybody thinking about? Who's, who's the draft pick for my team? What's going to happen in free agency? Who are we playing on opening day? That's what everybody cares about deep down the most. And this other stuff can make you think, boy, really a crappy operation. There are really some crappy people involved, all of that. But ultimately, when the ball is kicked off, everybody's watching. Everybody wants to see what happens. Everybody wants their fantasy guys to have success. Everybody's got hope about their team turning it around, being the Rams next year, getting better from the top of the draft because of their pick. We love it. So we'll forgive a lot or suppress a lot or not care about a lot. Daniel Snyder's a creep. We all know it. But in the end, the game overcomes all. There are certainly a lot of people watching, and uh, they continue to watch, no doubt about it. Uh, one of our very favorites, one of our first guests on Outkick 360, Dane Bradshaw, college basketball analyst with SEC Network. He's going to join us to talk some SEC hoops and broader college hoops. That's coming up next. This is Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. We are back. Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. We are live from our 6th and Peabody studios in downtown Nashville with Old Smoky Moonshine Yeehaw Beer. There are a lot of people uh, here at Old Smoky today sampling the moonshine right outside of our door. Head start um, on the weekend. I don't think our next guest, Dane Bradshaw, is currently sampling moonshine, but he is a, at an airport, and he is a trooper for joining us at the airport. He's getting ready to fly to Fayetteville for a big game tomorrow between Tennessee and Arkansas. He's one of the very best. Good friend of the show, Dane Bradshaw, college basketball analyst with SEC Network, joining us now. 
Dane, how are you, man? How's uh, how's the view at the airport? No moonshine for you? <laughs> yeah, no, no moonshine. Chattanooga connecting to Charlotte, and it's not that I uh, it's not that I couldn't have a few drinks at the airport, but uh, X and A, the Fayetteville Airport, is about a forty five minute drive to the hotel, so probably best I stay away and uh, get get to the hotel bar tomorrow. So, do you just land in Marty Bird's backyard in the Ozarks and then drive to Fayetteville from your <laughs> airport? Like where where in the world is this airport <laughs> located? That's forty five minutes from Fayetteville. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, that that's uh, X and A. So the Bentonville uh, Airport. If it, if it was Marty Birds, that would be uh, no tags on the plane, and uh, <laughs> and they'd be they'd be tracing this phone call. Chad, we're B N A, so yes. we're low level N A. But imagine how far down the line you are to be X N A. Yeah, you got to work for Walmart, I think, to <laughs> fly into that airport, or be Dane Bradshaw. Uh, Dane, Tennessee, big win this week uh, over Kentucky, and. Uh, it's rare when you see the team that talks about revenge a lot and how much they got punked in the first game and actually comes out and does something about it the way Tennessee did in this game against Kentucky. And lo and behold, Tennessee's playing some offense now, which was a real struggle. I know you've called a number of their games this year, but what have you made, not just of that win over Kentucky, but really what's happened with this Tennessee basketball team since about the four-minute mark in Austin, Texas, where they made a furious rally at the end of that game. Right. I mean, it's not just about a revenge mindset. Had they played Kentucky the next week after that whooping and rub, I don't think they would have beat them. It's what's happened over time of the past month. It, it's not just one thing. It's not just that Josiah Jordan-James is playing great. It's not just that Kennedy Chandler's playing better and Zakai Ziegler emerging as the heart and soul of the team or Fulkerson starting to play better. It, it, it's all of those things happening at once. You're hard-pressed to find a player on Tennessee's team right now that's not playing with supreme confidence. And uh, the way they're passing, sharing, moving the ball, I think has been terrific. Um, Santiago Vescovi, I mean, the guy's just been steady and so consistent all season long. And while everybody else has had their ups and downs, he's been the one steady force to where now everybody is playing at his level. And Tennessee's just so dangerous. And um, when they use the phrase, don't let it stick on offense, man, they are passing, catching, shooting. It's just, it's a, it's a thing of beauty. And teams are going to have to take that away because you got to make Tennessee play one-on-one. The, the number one stat I look at when I'm watching Tennessee offensively is how many assists do they have on their made field goals? If they've got 10 made field goals and they've got six, seven assists, you know their offense is run the way it is. If they've got 10 made field goals but they've only got three assists, that benefits the opponent because you want Tennessee to have to break you down one-on-one because realistically they don't have a lot of guys that are that gifted at that. Um, at least not to rely on for 40 minutes in a game. But right now, um, they're hitting on all cylinders. And, of course, their defense has been elite all season long. But uh, they, they've got an identity now and playing their best basketball at the right time. It's pretty clear they're at their best with those three guards and, and uh, not with a particularly big lineup on the, on the court. Is that going to run them into trouble uh, come, come a tournament time if they just hit the wrong matchup? I don't think so, and I'm with you. It is their best lineup. It's not the one they start, but it's the one they finish with, and it's the one they go to when when they need to stop the bleeding on another team's run, and that's uh, moving Kennedy Chandler, the freshman phenom point guard who's actually a little bit better off the ball um, because Rick Barnes is so demanding on the point guard. Now Barnes can be a little bit more patient when he puts Zakai Ziegler out there. Uh, I think he feels more comfortable when Ziegler's out there with Chandler. It's like, it's like your kid – 
going to a bad neighborhood, but you, you know who's with them. You know, you trust who he's going with as a buddy system or something. And then Vescovy, of course, at the three. But the key to all that isn't so – it is about those three point guards, but it's Josiah Jordan-James' versatility that he can move to the four and give you a perimeter threat, a ball handler, without giving anything up in terms of size and strength at the four spot defensively. And that's what makes it go. Um, and then the five man, they have depth there. You don't know what you're going to get game in, game out from the five, uh, but they have depth to where they could say, you know what, we know what we got one through four, and let's ride the hot hand, whichever five man decided to show up that night and whoever was playing their best. That could be Fulkerson, that could be Plovsic, um, and now it could be Adu, um, the, the kid with a nine foot four standing reach. It's insane, his wingspan. And I think that helped them against Kentucky as well. So I'm laughing. Uh, I think Jimmy Dykes does a good job. I'm laughing at him the other night, though. I think it was him and Carl Ravitch on the call, uh, Dane. When Ty Ty Washington goes down, they kept asking the question, well, now who's going to step up and score for Kentucky? And I'm thinking, pick any one of the other four McDonald's All-Americans. They, they've got leftovers uh, that can score. And I say that jokingly, but I, I watched Kentucky even in that game and think, you know, it was a bad night for Kentucky, and Tennessee got the best of them. But this is still a Final Four caliber team that could easily – uh, win it all. And I, that really hasn't changed for me when I watch that team play. Well, I, I agree. And they do have some scores, and, but a lot of them are shooters. Like Kellen Grady is a guy, great shooter. Stay attached to him. You know, don't let him get it off. Easier said than done, but, you know, make him put it on the floor. You can typically take him away. Uh, Davion Mintz is one of their other scorers off the bench, another catch and shoot type guy. And so who can really create off the bounce for themselves? And that's where Ty Ty Washington is the one guy. And what I think you're going to see is Savir Wheeler, who's a really good point guard, but you want him to beat him. You want him to have to beat you with his scoring. He's capable of going through some really tough shooting droughts. And I think when you can sit there and say, all right, we want Keon Brooks, a role player four man, and Savir Wheeler to make to take the majority of the shots, that, that's when you have a chance to, to have Kentucky look the way they did. So – Walker Kessler and the sweepstakes for him, it was down to Tennessee and Auburn uh, where he was going to tra transfer. He picks Auburn, and I can't help but think about what that would have done for Tennessee. Would they be a top-five type team all year if they have Walker Kessler on that roster? doesn't matter. He's a star now for Auburn, and Auburn is another team much like Kentucky. You look at and say, this is a Final Four caliber, national championship type team that Bruce Pearl has at Auburn. What do you make of this group now, uh, Dane? What would be your biggest concern for Auburn with their roster or the way they play? It's interesting because the biggest concern for Auburn are things you aren't accustomed to saying about a Bruce Pearl team. They're, they're not as good from three as they are from two. Um, their guard play is good, not great. Normally with a Bruce Pearl team, you say, hey, they're going to shoot a ton of threes. They're going to create tempo and they've got better guards and they have post players. This year, it's the opposite. It's their front court that's dominant. And yes, they have a good backcourt. I'm not saying they don't, but it's not the same type of backcourt that took them to, to a Final Four. Uh, but they're also better in the front court. They're elite defensively. And it used to be, hey, Auburn had to turn you over to really get stops. That was their bread and butter was turnovers and tempo. And, and now they're getting those traditional half-court stops because of how well they can protect the rim. Kessler can literally give you 10 plus blocks on 10 plus blocks on any given night. No exaggeration. He's got 
two triple doubles this year with blocks. Um, and so they're built a little bit differently, but still run a lot of the same type sets and offense that you get uh, with a Bruce Pearl team. However, every pretty much every analyst, every radio show, when March comes, they're going to talk about the importance of guard play. And that's where I sit there and say, all right, can Auburn's front court and their defense take them to the final four as opposed to other teams that might have an edge with the better backcourt? And that that's uh, to be determined. And again, it's not as if Auburn's um, struggling in the backcourt, but I think Wendell Green and Katie Johnson, those guys, um, they can shoot you out of a game sometimes and they can save you, but there's better backcourts out there. SEC Network college basketball analyst, former Tennessee Vol, Dane Bradshaw, our guest on Outkick 360. Dane, you're on the call of Tennessee at Arkansas tomorrow. This Arkansas team has been impressive in their bounce back this year. Didn't do a lot in the non-conference. Opened SEC play with a home loss to Vanderbilt, and they've been terrific uh, really since that point. What's been the key for this Razorback squad? Well, uh, a few things. They, they went bigger in their starting lineup, and Coach Musman has a history of not wanting to go more than seven deep in his rotation. He, he'd rather his star players play against your eighth, ninth, and tenth while you're trying to stay fresh and sub guys in. He wants to take advantage of that. But he didn't know what were his what was his top seven. He now has that, and they um, got much bigger. Most teams go smaller when they want to get better defensively quicker, but they've been able to do it with more size on the perimeter. And, um, yeah, they've won nine out of their last ten. They, they, we talk about an identity. Arkansas has it. Uh, they've got a brilliant point guard in J.D. Note and then uh, an emerging star with their post player, Jalen Williams, who can do it all. This guy's, um, you know, for Tennessee fans, reminds you a little bit of a Grant Williams, uh, just his ability to, to pass out of the post, score out of the post, shoot the mid-range shot, take charges, protect the rim, contagious energy. And uh, they've got something special going right now. Uh, but again, that, that's one of those things where you look at uh, Arkansas and say, all right, how do you beat them? And one of the points you know, that, that we're going to talk about tomorrow is you, you've got Arkansas star point guard, singular, and J.D. Note versus Tennessee's point guards, plural. And I think that's going to be something to really watch for is how can, you know, you, you can't ask Vescovy or Chandler or Ziegler to win that matchup by themselves. But I think collectively you could look at the end of the game and say, you know what? As a unit and by committee, they won that position, which is the key to that game. Tubby Smith's been sick, and he hung it up at high point, uh, a low-profile ending for a guy that had a high-profile career. When you, when you think of him what, uh, and his legacy, what, what, what are the first things that come to mind for you? Uh, class, um, a guy that, if anything, people, you know, the criticism on him was maybe at times was he – um, always a player's coach. And usually that was because he was a no-nonsense, old-school guy. And if you were a parent that wanted your kid to get tougher and not be taking it easy on, then he was the guy for you. And I think it's something uh, a lot of people appreciated about him. Uh, I've never heard anybody say Tubby Smith ever even went in the gray area. I mean, you talk about black and white, he, he, he never even went in the gray area. The guy was by the book, wouldn't sell out. Uh, no matter the pressure of what comes with being the head coach of Kentucky, Memphis, Texas Tech, whatever it is, he, he was going to stick by his principles. And so, um, and he's won a lot of games for that. He's got a national championship on his resume. And he honestly, it, he probably could have had more had he 
um, jeopardized what, what he felt was, was right, but, but he didn't. And so when you go out and they can say things like that about you, um, I know he's a, he's a, a proud coach, proud dad, proud grandpa. And, uh, and so all kudos to him on a heck of a career. Wondering how much you've seen the Zags and, uh, curious about Chet Holmgren. Most seven, one guys who don't break 200 on the scale, uh, you, you can really put him in a box. Uh, I'm sure they're trying to beef him up, but he seems to be different for a, a guy like that. And, uh, I don't uh, Sean Bradley was, was bigger than that still, but how's he handle the physicality and what do you think of him as, as a, as a, as an NBA guy? Yeah, he's he's phenomenal. And when they say uh, somebody's a unicorn, it's Chet Holmgren. I mean, yeah, Jabari Smith for Auburn at times has been so impressive. 6'10", um, reminds you of KD. Like any freshman, sometimes he can have his ups and downs, but you see the potential and upside. And yet, he's still, to me, behind Chet Holmgren and what Holmgren's able to do with pushing the ball all the way up the court his IQ, his feel for the game, his touch. Um, yeah, he, he'd like to get some more weight on him, but that doesn't necessarily mean he, he gets pushed around or bullied. You know, he can where he can't outmuscle you, he'll outsmart you and and out out finesse at times. Can shoot it. Um, it's just uh, he, he's a special player. And for for those of us um, in the South here that probably don't get a chance to stay up or watch many of the Gonzaga games until you know NCAA March Madness. Uh, that's appointment television. You need to turn it on and watch this guy because he's he's very well deserving of that number one pick in the NBA draft, which has, has been fun to see. Jabari Smith, Holmgren, some of these other guys. Usually, and I can't, I, I'll try to think of an example, but sometimes you, you have these NBA lottery picks on these teams that are one and done, and there's so much hype around them, but most of it's on potential and what they're going to be. And what, but what do you actually get for it? in that one year as a college coach. And it, it may have set you back as a program more than it actually helped you. Uh, in this case, th- these are legendary type guys that can, uh, like a Carl Anthony Towns or something like that at Kentucky, that not only with the potential, but they can go win you a national title for that one year they're there. And you, you don't always say that about some of these one and done guys uh, because their production, their current production doesn't match their potential. How hard was John Shire sweating at the end of that game the other night, almost blowing a 19-point lead in relief of the legend, Coach K, and going against a guy you know well, Dane, in Steve Forbes, a former Tennessee assistant coach under Bruce Pearl. He's done a great job with that Wake Forest program. But I'm watching that ending and thinking, well, this has got to be nerve-wracking. You don't want to be the guy who, before you take over for the legend, you get thrust into the second half and blow a nearly 20-point lead. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I saw all of it. I did watch, rewatch the ending of it, and uh, I, that's uh, I've got a rooting interest there for Wake Forest and Steve Forbes. And I was, I was, I was about ready to say, uh, you know what, this is uh, you know, Coach K was running from you, and uh, he knew what was coming, and that's why he didn't come back just to mess with him. But <laughs> interestingly enough, last year Steve Forbes got ejected from that game, and assistant coach Brooke Savage, who had never been a head coach before, a young up and comer. His first duties as a head coach is um, at Cameron Indoor after his coach gets ejected against Coach K, <laughs> and so he was <laughs> he was sweating like that, like John Shire was, I think, a year ago. And so, yeah, that, that's a lot of pressure. But uh, um, I'm still not sure if we ever got true clarity on what the heck the call was on the goaltend. Did he goaltend his own shot or what? 
I got to go back and look that up with my luck. That'll happen tomorrow night. I won't know what the call is, but uh, yeah, that was, that was a, um, he's got a tough act to follow there. Dane, I hate the cop out double technical is what I call it. When there's clearly an instigator in a situation and there needs to be one technical foul, but it's so much easier for the official to say, Oh, well this guy said something too, or this guy touched this other player. So we're going to give two technicals and just start playing the game over again. I think that happened in the Tennessee-Kentucky game uh, where the strength coach bowed up to Vescovy walking over to help up a teammate. That started a little incident, not much of anything. Takai Ziegler kind of put his left hand into his side to move him out of the way, and then it was a double technical. What did you make of that? And any time you see an assistant coach standing up on the sideline and getting into it with a player that runs over to the side. Well, and uh, the aggravating part for Coach Barnes was that because the strength coach isn't a player, it just became a team foul on their bench. They didn't get a personal foul on a key player, whereas Ziegler got a personal foul. That's yeah. much more detrimental for a player <laughs> as opposed to a bench technical. And um, But, you know, what, what's changed all of that, it, it used to be the old, you know, hey, the, um, it's always the second guy that gets caught. Uh, not really anymore because they go review these things and the monitor allows you to go say, oh, you're in trouble, you're in trouble, you're in trouble. And, and that's what's changed it all. Um, and, and, you know, to the dismay of many fans when it takes them a while to try to sort it all out on TV. But rarely uh, does the first person not get caught in these things with, with that review. One last one for you, Dane. H- how do you view the Jerry Stackhouse situation at Vanderbilt? They've clearly gotten better. As the year has gone on, there's, there's no doubt about it. Getting Robbins healthy has helped, but I still look at it and I think they've got a good recruiting class coming in, but they're probably going to lose Scottie Pippen Jr., who is far and away the best player on their team and really makes them go. So overall, how do you view the status of, of Jerry Stackhouse and the job he's done at Vanderbilt? Um, this was an important year for him to show this type of progress because I think that's the main thing you want to see as a Vanderbilt fan. And there's certainly been questions around that program because when he got the job, yeah, you couldn't say it was a home run hire. You couldn't say it was a bust. I think everybody was just like, hey, it's a wait and see. And after two years, you're still kind of, uh, I'm waiting and seeing. I'm, I'm not seeing the progress I want. Now you are you are starting to see that progress to where I, I think he's certainly earned more time to uh, take advantage of another recruiting class. Again, this is a guy that inherited a, a club that won no SEC games the year before. Um, but it does um, leave you to wonder, man, is this going to be another NBA player that Vanderbilt wasn't able to capitalize on? I mean, they've had so many NBA players, uh, Darius Garland, who got hurt. Um, and then Scotty uh, um, Saban, uh, excuse me, well, Saban Lee was there, but he was on a bad team. Now he's on in the NBA. They didn't get to take advantage of adding complimentary pieces around him. Aaron Neesmith, he gets hurt. And then Scotty Pippen, it's like, man, if he's in the NBA next year, you, you, you're going to be, oh, the, the what if, you know, and they've had some really good players, but never been able to have that timing right to where recruiting classes and complimentary players around them have been able to, uh, to, to put that together. And who knows? maybe, maybe Scottie Pippen does come back for another year if there's something worth winning and they think, hey, we can put this together because um, you have to credit them for not transferring. Xavier Wheeler was a star guard in the SEC at, for a struggling team in Georgia, and he went to Kentucky. Pippen Jr. could have immediately gone to a contender, and he didn't. So maybe he can be convinced, hey, you know what, let, let, me, let me finish what I started here. We're going to have a squad 
and uh, I'm going to be part of something special and get Vanderbilt back to the NCAA tournament. Dane Bradshaw, one of the best college basketball analysts, ESPN, SEC Network. He's on the call for Tennessee at Arkansas late tomorrow afternoon. Dane, enjoy that flight to the Ozarks. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Hey, take it easy on my employer, man. Quit with all the ESPN hate every now and then. You know? <laughs> hey, don't <laughs> take a day don't, off. Don't look at me. I'll have to get Clay on here for you to tell him that. <laughs> then, then we'll do that. But thanks, oh, Dane. Good. No, appreciate you guys. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Dane Bradshaw. Uh, when we come back, um, speaking of hate, uh, Greg Sankey is looking around right now saying, hey, we're not expanding the playoffs, but don't look at me. Don't blame me. Hate someone else. I gave enough. I was willing to do it. It's the other conference's fault. We'll discuss when we come back. It's Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we are back. Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network live from our 6th and Peabody broadcast studios in downtown Nashville alongside Paul Kuharski. I'm Chad Withrow. College football playoff is not expanding. It's going to stay at four teams at least through the 2025 season, which will be the end of this current contract. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey says, we gave, we gave a little more. We don't really need to do this. We were okay with it if it was good for everyone else. But yet the other conferences would not agree on anything with the SEC. They called off a meeting. The last meeting was so quick, and they were so far off on what they wanted out of this playoff. They decided not to have the next meeting and just go ahead and admit it's not happening in terms of expansion until 2026. Paul, I think this is a big mistake for college football. So dumb. I mean, the other conferences have the most to benefit. Do you really think the third SEC team, if it gets in there, is is that much of a deterrent? They're playing scared. It's what America wants to see. Uh, And they're failing to serve the constituency. It's inevitable after that contract expires because TV will dictate it. And ultimately, uh, you know, I guess TV couldn't dictate it now uh, based on the existing contracts. But it just seems like why delay the inevitable? Yeah, and this also comes after reports that the Big Ten reportedly – is receiving a bid from NBC to carry the Big Ten for $1.1 billion, where they would move television rights to NBC. NBC sees it as a perfect one-two punch with Notre Dame football and Big Ten football on Saturdays. Maybe they're thinking we're in more of a position of power if we can make that happen and get another big television deal done. Um, Greg Sankey has spoken about this, and, and he said, we were ready to participate in meaningful expansion And he said, I think others are going to have to give you their reasons for why it didn't happen. Was asked if this process was a failure because they couldn't come to an agreement on the expansion. He said, from my perspective, we just had two of my teams play for a national title. And we've seen our teams win it a lot. So I don't know how you could call it a failure from our perspective. Um, It's it's a weird situation, Paul. And I think this happens a lot. You know, you, you brought up the example of 
people started to look around about Bill Belichick trades with the Patriots and second-guess themselves on what was right because the Patriots kept fleecing people in a trade. I think we have a little bit of that same complex going on with other conferences. They're looking around saying, why is Greg Sankey so quick to give up a couple things to expand? Does this mean he's going to get seven teams in, eight teams? Is this going to ultimately be bad for us? Even though everything is pointing to more teams, more opportunity, more interest, more, most importantly, money, the thing that drives every sport, a lot more money with, the, with that many more games. And I think that they've gotten in, the SEC has almost gotten in the heads of every other conference to start to second guess what to me is a very obvious choice, and that is to expand the playoffs. Pac-12 was up for it, right? Pac-12 was the one that was most agreeable to everything, and they just hired um, Kleovatkov. Kleovat- I- I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of his last name, but basically a guy who ran a, a business casino. Guy. Yeah. yeah, I think he ran MGM for a year, so he's a, he's a business guy. Well, I applaud his sensibility and uh, these other conferences. I, I, also, I know there's been a lot of change lately, in, uh, but this SEC weariness, and look, I'm not a, a big SEC guy. But, uh, I mean, just because the big bad wolf has a good or is on board with a new idea doesn't mean you have to be scared. Examine each idea for what it is. Don't, don't you know, lump it all together. And, and it seems foolhardy to me. People want more high-quality, meaningful football. And I don't know how it serves your school any better to be involved in a, a big bowl game that doesn't have – um, championship implications that is more likely for your uh, star guy to leave um, to get ready for the combine and to fear injury where um, he might stay if it, if it meant if winning that game got him close to a ring that would be part of his legacy. I don't know if that's naive on my part. Don't you think more would stay well, or be tempted yeah, to stay? Yeah, I mean, maybe. And I don't think that's what's really driving no, this but discussion. That's a but part it's, a, it's of it. a subset of it. But I think what's driving the fear from other conferences and the lack of trust is that Oklahoma and Texas jumped to the SEC and no one saw it coming. And so now they just don't trust the There's SEC. going to be some wrinkle But that's going to happen coming. anyway. And this isn't going to prevent that from happening. And this is still going to help more conferences and more schools, even if the SEC starts looting other conferences and forms, you know, the NFL of college football. More teams and more meaningful games is good for college football. Games, period, would be good for Major League Baseball. Will we see them this season? We discuss next. This is OutKick 360.